the most conclusive evidence yet on the COVID virus being man-made in a lab, and a funeral director reports 95% of corpses had received COVID vaccination within two weeks of death. That and a lot more on a deep dive into the origins of the China virus and the vaccine on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 265 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, let's let's start off with the uh, the story about the uh, the funeral director, the the undertaker. Now this is over in theepictimes.com, e p o c h, theepictimes.com. Just came out within the last few days, and you see a, a headline like this: ninety five percent of corpses had received COVID vaccination within two weeks of death. Colon funeral director. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? It gets your attention. A funeral director from New Zealand says that 95% of the corpses he has been seeing had received a COVID-19 vaccine within two weeks of their passing away. Funeral director Brenton Faithful said 95% of the people who have passed away through the work that I've done have been vaccinated within two weeks. Mr. Faithful, which is spelled faith in an F-U-L-L, has been working as a funeral director for the last 41 years and has been running his own mortuary business for the last 26 years. He recently spoke out about the apparent relationship between the COVID-19 vaccines and the deaths he has been observing. He said it's very obvious They die within two weeks of receiving the vaccination. A lot of them almost appear to have died from anaphylaxis, almost a reaction straight away to the booster. Now, anaphylaxis is an acute reaction of the body to an antigen, such as that of a bee sting or an ejection. In an interview, oh, they linked to the interview. Okay. In an interview, he said they die the same day, the following day after receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. This isn't a one-off case. This is the majority of cases that have come through our facility. Yeah, the God is interview. I don't know if you're familiar with a, uh, a video platform called Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E. It's one of the uh, 
competitors to YouTube out there now. And they've got his interview on the uh, Aussie Fighter channel. And this is from less than a month ago. But I digress. Similar data has been discussed by funeral director John O'Looney in the U.K. and Richard Hirschman from Alabama in the U.S., previously reported by the Epic Times. O'Looney told the Epic Times, from the very moment these injections went into arms, the death rate soared beyond belief. They labeled them all as COVID deaths, but the reality is they were almost exclusively the people who were vaccinated. He added, we now see record numbers of deaths in the vaccinated and in record numbers of young people. They die from a mixture of sudden, very aggressive cancers or blood clots, which cause heart attack and stroke. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who's been informing the public on the dangers of vaccines for over two decades, weighed in on the testimony of Mr. Faithful, the funeral director from New Zealand. She told the Epoch Times, on December 2nd, 2020, UK regulators granted emergency use authorization to Pfizer's COVID-19 shot. Within a week, Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency in the UK, Chief Executive Officer June Rain said in a statement that any person with a history of anaphylaxis to a vaccine, medicine, or food should not receive the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. She went on to say that allergic reactions had not been a feature of Pfizer's cl clinical trials. Well, nothing was. Hey, do you remember the, the episode I had within the last couple of weeks in which one of the Pfizer executives testified under oath to the European Union Parliament and was asked by Rob Rose, one of the members of Parliament from Holland, if they had tested the vaccine to see if it stopped the transmission of the virus before they put it out on the market. And this executive for Pfizer just chuckled, said, oh, no, we didn't have time for that. We had to move at the speed of science. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, more testimony here from Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She told the Epoch Times that anaphylaxis was the first identified risk. She said Pfizer was forced to release their findings by a Texas federal judge January 2022. Within that first tranche of documents, you will find Table 3, Safety Concerns. On page 10 of this document, the first identified risk is anaphylaxis. In a risk survey, Conducted between December 1st, 2020 and February 28th, 2021, a mere three months, 1,833 cases of anaphylaxis had been observed and four individuals died from anaphylaxis on the same. The Epoch Times reached out to Pfizer for comment. Yeah, good luck getting one. In certain cases, Faithful, funeral director down in New Zealand and his staff, try to get the coroner involved. Faithful shared one instance where a man insisted that his father should not get the vaccine, but his sister pressured their father. 
When the father conceded and took the shot, he died four days later. Faithful said, when I started counting in August of last year, it was one after the other, after the other, after the other. And when I got to 20, it was 19 who had died within two weeks of getting the vaccine. The funeral director explained, so the first 20 days, I counted 19 of them. That's 95%. The next number was 100% of the people who died had been vaccinated within two weeks. I guess that means the next subset of 20 deaths. Dr. Sanjay Verma is a cardiologist practicing in California who has been seeing a dramatic increase in heart problems since the rollout of the vaccines. Dr. Verma told the Epoch Times, previous work by Dr. Gundry demonstrated an increase in cardiac inflammatory markers after COVID-19 vaccination. Interestingly, from December 2021 through June 2022, 100% of the patients needing urgent cardiac catheterization for heart attack had been vaccinated, many of them with booster doses. More than half had been recently vaccinated within a few weeks. In a county where 60% of the population is vaccinated, this trend is worrisome. Dr. Verma continued, There have been 31,470 deaths after COVID-19 vaccination reported in the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, otherwise known, of, known as VAERS, the abbreviation. The vast majority of them are clustered within seven days after vaccination. Additionally, there are some other worrisome trends. Data from CDC indicate there were 60,000 deaths in September 2019 and September 2020. However, in September 2021, that number surged to 90,000. It's a 50% jump. Dr. Verma said, we also have numerous social media posts on people, especially athletes, who died suddenly with no apparent cause. Now, Dr. Verma believes that any unexplained death within a few weeks or even months after vaccination should be investigated with a thorough autopsy. Specifically evaluated for spike protein in the brain, major blood vessels, and the heart. Dr. Verma added, we know the spike protein is toxic to blood vessels causing endothelial dysfunction. The spike protein is also toxic to heart muscle causing myocardial injury. There are also case reports of autopsy-proven vaccine-mediated encephalitis, inflammation of the brain, myocarditis, and vasculitis, all of which can cause death. Just so you know. I just thought you might want to know that because here it is out here on the epochtimes.com. Reporter Enrico Trigoso and everybody in talk radio and all the news networks know that the Epoch Times exists. But is anybody else talking about it? I don't know. You have to tell me because I don't have time to listen to talk shows on the radio anymore. And I, I rarely get a chance to watch the news on television because I am doing show prep for this 
24-7. So, oh, yes, in, in the live stream, in the live stream, South Ozman, who I guess is, yeah, yeah, from, uh, from uh, South Australia, is saying COVID vaccines are adversely affecting women's pre- reproductive health, and he's got a link to uh, Steve Kirsch over there in Substack. I've read you some of his stuff before. New study shows that pretty much everyone is getting heart damage from the COVID vaccines. Another link to a C- Steve Kirsch article at Substack. Steve Kirsch is the man. Watch the video in the article where he talks about subclinical myocarditis. Good day, South Osman. Appreciate that very much. Yep, study shows that pretty much everyone is getting the heart damage from the uh, from the COVID vaccines. That's true. That's true. And, and, and the vaccines were never meant to cure anything, and, and I've got something on that for you. But before I go too much further, let me just share with you the latest. There's a brilliant guy named Alex Washburn, no relation. He has an E on the end of his last name, but he's a... PhD from Princeton, connecting models of competition in ecology with stochastic portfolio theory. He developed new statistical and AI tools for biology and finance. During the COVID-19 pandemic, provided tribal, county, state, federal, and international managers with cutting-edge COVID-19 forecasts and risk assessments. And now he's the co-founder and CEO of Selva, C-E-L-V as in victory, A, creating an ecosystem for science. Now, what he and his team did, they looked at the China virus, the Wu flu, the COVID-19. And it is amazing. It's, it's almost like they, they retro-engineered it. They started with where it is now and took it back to pretty obviously where it came from. I hope that makes sense. Now, Professor Francois Bellot, who is the director, he's the director of the Genetics Institute at University College of London. So this is a real guy. Here's what he's saying about Alex Washburn's study. He said, this is an important piece of work. To me, it looks solid both conceptually and methodologically. I was given advance warning and was able to replicate the key findings. To the best of my knowledge, I confirm the reported patterns are genuine. He says the distribution of restriction sites, and and they're going to have some terms here that you're probably not going to know unless you're a scientist, and I've looked up a bunch of this stuff so I could at least understand it well enough to explain it to you. I've done a lot of research on this, like all night long. Anyway, he says the distribution of restriction sites in SARS-CoV-2 is highly atypical when compared to related viruses in circulation and far more in line with previous lab-engineered coronaviruses. 
This is a troubling finding which requires scrutiny. These findings are not final and dispositive, but they can't be ignored either. To me, this is by far the strongest piece of evidence to date against the simple scenario of strict strict zoonotic or origin for SARS-CoV-2. In other words, yeah, pretty obvious. It did not just come from bats or some kind of animal out there in the wild. He says, I anticipate COVID Twitter will combust in an implosion of rage and fury over the preprint. Now, preprint is is something that you put out saying, hey, we got this paper. Uh, it's going to come out soon, and here's kind of a, a summary of, of, of what we're going to release soon. He says, in an ideal world, this is not what should happen. In other words, people freaking out about it. But freak out they did. And, and I'm going to get to... I'm going to get to the explanation of it, okay? Um, But, yeah, people with the most to lose did indeed freak out, especially Fauci's buddies. They really freaked out. Now, Alex Washburn was one of the guys that worked on this. Uh, Valentin Brutel was another guy. He's another Ph.D. scientist in immunology, inventor of antigen-specific immunosuppressive biotherapeutic platform. Um, and Tony Van Dongen, and I'll have to look up his uh, bio here in a minute. But again, they kind of... They kind of reverse engineered it. And I think they did it very successfully. And Fauci's Fauci's homies on Twitter are just they're they're just they're freaking out. They're hitting the roof. Now, um, let me give you some examples. And, and by the way, yeah, okay, so this is this is probably, yeah, Tony Van Donge, an associate professor at Duke who got his Ph.D. in molecular biophysics at Leiden University in the U.K. like 35 years ago. Master of Science, M.S. Molecular Biophysics at Ultrec University even before that. Anyway, so... Fauci's people freaking out about it. And then some of the uh, conservative folks that I follow are commenting on this, okay? So this guy, Christian G. Anderson, infectious diseases and genomics and just real tight with Fauci, Got a lot to lose here. He says, and I quote out here on Twitter, well, first of all, January 31st, 2020, right after Senator Tom Cotton said, hey, don't just completely discount the possibility this may may have come from a lab, you know? And Christian G. Anderson's response, and somebody showed him what Tom Cotton had said, 
He's like, yeah, thanks for looping me in here, Tara. I only had a very quick look at the link, but the analyses are completely flawed and wrong. They can safely be ignored. Talk about the possibility it might have been put together in a lab. Now, in response to Alex Washburn's study with these other PhDs, He's out there on Twitter saying the study is a clear example of motivated reasoning with a heavy dose of techno babble to make it sound legitimate, but it's nothing more than poppycock dressed up as science. In plain language, this is uninformed nonsense, and it's simply not worth engaging with this BS. Now, you know what I always say about name calling? It's, it's called ad hominem, and ad hominem tends to betray frustration with the inability to construct a persuasive, coherent argument. In other words, he's got nothing, so he's just throwing mud. Now, the great Hans Monkey over the Epic Times responds saying, Fauci mercenary Kristen G. Anderson dismissing Senator Cotton's lab leak questions in January 2020 versus him dismissing the new Alex Washburn and what's the other guy? the guy's name? Valentin Brutel and Tony Vandigen lab leak study now. Same old nothing to see here, modus operandi, but he's a lot angrier now than he used to be. Jeff Carlson, also over the Epic Times, says Anderson is now afraid, as he should be. He says the pure brilliance of approaching the topic from a totally different angle from Alex Washburn that has been approached from before contrasts sharply with Anderson's fiscal subservience to Fauci. In other words, you don't want the money cut off, right? Because Fauci controls funding. Jeff Carlson continues, their study illuminates those fiscally tied to the Fauci-fed, quote, scientific community, unquote, that relies on federal funding. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's exactly What's going on here? So what I want to do, I'm going to share with you what this study shows, what they did, how they did it, and what it shows. And it is remarkable. There's no way. There's no way the Wu flu, the China virus, came from bats in a cave a thousand miles from Wuhan. There's no way it accidentally came from... uh, from a fish market within a few miles of a lab. No, no. This thing is conclusive. Anyway, that's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. In the meantime, we can't say thank you enough to our advertisers. They are our friends, and we appreciate them making it possible for us to continue doing the Doc Washburn Show now into our second year. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. 
As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, And click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you once again to our advertisers and our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. They're also our doctors. They have helped me and my wife and so many of our friends. Um, We we lost track of how many. It is the best-kept secret in American healthcare, getting your atlas adjusted. Also, thank you so much to our good friend, Mitch Ward, proprietor of RedRiverYourWay.com. We appreciate you guys making it possible for us to do what we do here. We appreciate also, of course, our patrons for making it possible for us to do what we do here week in and week out. All right, so let me get into what Alex Washburn put out on Twitter as kind of a preprint. This was about lunchtime, central time of the U.S., on Thursday, October 20th, and people in Fauci's corner started freaking out pretty quickly. Again, uh, this is from Alex Washburn, Valentin Brutel, and Tony Vandigen, and they're all PhDs, and they obviously know their stuff. So... I think the best way to look at it is probably to look at the um, the preprint that they put out there from Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. Just kind of go through it 
because it does use some layman's language, which was very helpful for me, uh, more lay, layman's language than the actual thread of tweets did. So <clears throat> this is called endonuclease fingerprint indicates a synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2, a synthetic origin. In other words, it didn't happen naturally. So just stick with me, and, and we'll plot through this, and we're going to figure it out, and I'm going to explain it to you as best I can. So the abstract says, to prevent future pandemics, it is important that we understand whether SARS-CoV-2 spilled over directly from animals to people or indirectly in a laboratory accident. The genome of SARS-CoV-2 contains a peculiar pattern of unique restriction endonuclease recognition sites allowing efficient disassembly and reassembly of the viral genome characteristic of synthetic viruses. Here, we report the likelihood of observing such a pattern in coronaviruses with no history of bioengineering. We find that SARS-CoV-2 is an anomaly. In other words, it's really different. More like a product of synthetic genome assembly than natural evolution. The restriction map of SARS-CoV-2 is consistent with many previously reported synthetic coronavirus genomes. Meets all the criteria required for an efficient reverse genetic system. In other words, you're going to reverse engineer this thing and see, you know, how it got put together. It differs from closest relevant. It differs from closest. Maybe I can say it right the third time. Yeah, the third time should be the Trump. It differs from closest relatives by a significantly higher rate of synonymous mutations in these synthetic-looking recognition sites and has a synthetic fingerprint unlikely to have evolved from its closest relatives. We report a high likelihood that SARS-CoV-2 may have originated as an infectious clone assembled in vitro. All right, great. A lot of big words. What does it mean? Okay. Thankfully, they follow this up with a lay summary, the summary for the layman like me, like you probably. It says to construct synthetic variants of natural coronaviruses in the lab, researchers often use a method called in vitro genome assembly. This method uses special enzymes called restriction enzymes to generate DNA building blocks that then can be stitched together in the correct order of the viral genome. To make a virus in the lab, researchers usually engineer the viral genome to add and remove stitching sites called restriction sites. In other words, where they kind of put it together. The ways that researchers modify these sites can serve as fingerprints of in vitro genome assembly. In other words, the fingerprint, it, it, it's... The kind of proof that, okay, look, they stitched this together here, they stitched that together there. The lay summary continues. We found that SARS-CoV has the restriction site fingerprint that is typical for synthetic viruses. The synthetic fingerprint of SARS-CoV-2 
is anomalous in wild coronaviruses and common in lab-assembled viruses. In other words, you look at the fingerprint. You look at how they stitch it together. That's not, it doesn't look anything like a coronavirus that would be out in the wild with bats in a cave or whatever, but it's very common for something somebody put together in a lab. The lay summary continues. The type of mutations, synonymous or silent mutations, that differentiate the restriction sites in SARS-CoV-2 are characteristic of engineering. And the concentration of these silent mutations in the restriction sites is extremely unlikely to have arisen by random evolution. Both the restriction site fingerprint and the pattern of mutations generating them are extremely unlikely in wild coronaviruses and nearly universal in synthetic viruses. In other words, ones they put together in the lab. They say our findings strongly suggest a synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2. So that's the deal. And Fauci's people are freaking out and just throwing mud and calling names because they got nothing. They got nothing. And Fauci's agency is giving more money to the EcoHealth Alliance to study more gain-of-function research. Can you believe it? People should be in jail. Now, I want to play you some audio. This is very telling. I'm not a normal person. I, I do this 24-7. I'm finding stuff for you around the clock. First of all, there's a clip from Anthony Kiedis. He is the vocalist for a rock band called Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he was recently on with Joe Rogan. And um, he was uh, really bummed out because one of their fans just up and died. Beautiful young woman, just full of life, vibrant, healthy, just keeled over. Wonder why. Two months ago, we were playing at the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. These two painter sisters from Texas, raised in Manhattan, brought their friend to the show. We're like, great, come and we'll hook you up with tickets and passes, come say hello, beautiful people. And the girl they brought was radiant in every aspect of the word. Physically beautiful, energy, kindness, just light. And all of my friends are like, who's that girl? That girl's amazing. It's just a, f a friend of our painter friends. And a week went by. And I opened the paper and I saw this girl had died unexpectedly with actor, model, artist. Wow. And she woke up and died. And they're not sure why, maybe sepsis. <clears throat> Who knows? Young people are dying these days. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, I woke up today and I complained about how long my room service took, how muggy it was outside and the traffic. And, and I decided this, this girl was just a giver of a human being, and she got plucked. So it's interesting that he's like, you know, putting things in perspective, the things I complain about are not that big a deal compared to something like this. But, and, and that's an important thing to realize, and some people never get there. So that's important. But here's the money quote. <clears throat> Who knows? Young people are dying these days. 
So he knows this is not a one-shot deal. No? Young people are dying these days. He's aware this is not unusual anymore for a healthy young person just to drop dead. Now, I don't know if Rogan ever brought up the vaccines or anything. Probably not, because we probably would have heard about that. But that's, uh, that's extremely disturbing. Now, the next audio I'm going to play for you is from a guy, Stanley Allen Plotkin. He's 90 years old. He's an American physician who works as a consultant to vaccine manufacturers. and by biotechnology firms and nonprofits and governments. In the 60s, he played a pivotal role in the discovery of a vaccine against rubella virus while working at Wistar University, pardon me, Wistar Institute in Philadelphia. He was a member of Wistar's active research faculty from 1960 to 1991. These days, in addition to his emeritus appointment at Wistar, he's emeritus professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania. His book, Vaccines, is a standard reference book on the subject. He's an editor with Clinical and Vaccine Immunology, which is published by the American Society for Microbiology, in Washington, D.C. So it's like, okay, well, this guy is uh, quite the expert then, right? I mean, see, I've never heard of the guy, but I came across, I came across a three-minute video clip on Twitter, which is kind of unusual because usually they cut you off at two minutes and 20 seconds. And he was testifying They took a deposition on him in a lawsuit about vaccines under oath. I looked it up on YouTube. He, t- he testified. He did a deposition for nine hours. We got three minutes. And the stuff he admits in the three minutes is just unbelievable. But, you know, you you can't lie under oath because then, you know, even a deposition, they could pop you for for perjury. So he's he's having to admit some things here that don't make him look good and that don't make the vaccine company he worked for look good. But it's my duty. i got to share it with you. I'm not here to soft pedal anything. Here he is, Dr. Stanley Plotkin in a deposition, 2019, in a vaccine lawsuit. Have you ever used orphans to study an experimental vaccine? Yes. Have you ever used the mentally handicapped to study an experimental vaccine? Um... I don't recollect ever doing studies in uh, mentally handicapped individuals. Um, 
at the time, in the 1960s, it was not an uncommon uh, practice. There's an article entitled Attenuation of RA273 Rubella Virus in WI38 Human Diploid Cells. Are you familiar with that article? Yes. Uh, in that article, one of the things it says uh, is 13, is, is one of the things it says is 13 seronegative mentally retarded children were given RA273 vaccine. Okay, well, then that's, in that case, that's what I did. Okay. Um, have you ever expressed that it's better to perform experiments on those less likely to be able to contribute to society, uh, such as children with handicap, than with children without or adults without handicaps? Um, I don't remember specifically, but it's uh, possible. <clears throat> Do you remember ever writing a uh, to the editor of Ethics on Human Experimentation? Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I may well have. Do you recognize uh, this letter you wrote to the editor? Yes. Okay. Is, did you write this letter? Yes. Okay. Um, is one of the things you wrote... Um, The question is whether we are to have experiments performed on fully functioning adults and on children who are potentially contributors to society or to perform initial studies in children and adults who are human in form but not in social potential. Yes. Okay. It may be objected that this question implies a Nazi philosophy, but I do not think that it is difficult to distinguish non-functioning persons from members of ethnic, racial, economic, or other groups. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, have you ever used babies of mothers in prison to study an experimental vaccine? Yes. Have you ever used individuals under col colonial rule to study an experimental vaccine? Yes. Did you do so in the Belgian Congo? Yes. Did that experiment involve almost a million people? Well, um... Well, all right, yeah. That's where it cuts off. Ordinarily, I stop every little bit and say something, but just hearing those two voices was spellbinding. Um, the description of the nine-hour video on YouTube, because all I did was I looked up Stanley Plotkin, vaccines on, on YouTube, and it came right up. The description of the nine-hour video, it says, aborted fetal tissues are used in vaccines. Vaccines have been experimentally tested on orphans and on mentally handicapped children. Experimental tests on babies from mothers in prisons. Experimental tests on one million people in then-colonial Belgian Congo. There is so much more information in this shocking video, a must-watch. And, you know, we, we always thought that, you know, the, the vaccine makers are just trying to help protect everybody from illness. Well, apparently not. Not the orphans they tested them on. 
not the mentally handicapped children they tested them on. I wonder if that includes those, those beautiful, wonderful Down syndrome kids. Not the uh, the babies who, through no fault of their own, were born by moms who were in prison. They were trying to protect them. Not the million people in the Belgian Congo they did the tests on. This guy should have been under the prison a long time ago. A long time ago. You ever heard of Stanley Plotkin? I'd never heard of him. You know, I just I just came across this stuff. I just came across this stuff. But he does a deposition, right? But it's not like there's any evidence that he's ever been indicted, right? No, 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 no. He's almost a, a godlike figure to a lot of the people in the pharmaceutical community. You can uh, you can look up Stanley Plotkin and come up with some pretty interesting uh, conflicts of interest. If you catch my drift. Oh yeah. Pretty interesting. Speaking of conflicts of interest, I'm old enough to remember a few months ago when Fauci was testifying and Rand Paul asked him how much money he and his crew were making from the pharmaceutical companies, and Fauci said, we don't have to answer that question. Oh. I see. You don't have to answer that question. That's fascinating. By the way, there are other interesting videos on the uh, the YouTube channel where I found the uh, the Plotkin deposition. Man, this guy admitting this stuff under oath, you know. Uh, so why? I mean, it's got to be against the law to do that kind of stuff, right? It's got to be against the law, you would think, just to do experimentations on orphans, on mentally handicapped children. I mean, they, 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 they're incapable legally of informed consent, aren't they? Experimental tests on uh, babies from mothers in prison. That's Dr. Mingala time, right? I mean, I don't know if you're a, a history buff or anything, but wow, man. That's messed up. That is messed up. Oh, by the way, Wall Street Journal... Reporting Pfizer projects it will make $32 billion from its COVID vaccine this year and $22 billion from Paxlovid. Their plan to charge $110 a dose for the vaccine can best be described as fleecing the public. Hat tip to uh, 
Dr. Jonathan Reiner, who linked to the Wall Street Journal uh, article. He's the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. CNN medical analyst. Man. Wonders never cease. I hope for his sake CNN doesn't see him criticizing Pfizer. They'll probably get rid of him in a heartbeat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so we got this article over at tabletmag.com. Alex Gutentag has this article called Vaccines Never Prevented the Transmission of COVID. Came out just a few days ago. My duty to share it with you. Says, in late 2021 and early 2022, it was commonplace for journalists and public intellectuals to demonize and shame the unvaccinated, a group that in the United States was disproportionately low income. The New York Times ran pieces like, I'm furious at the unvaccinated and unvaxxed, unmasked, and putting our kids at risk. The LA Times published a column titled, Mocking Anti-Vaxxers' COVID Deaths is Ghoulish, Yes, But May Be Necessary. An opinion piece called, The Unvaccinated Are a Risk to All of Us, appeared in Bloomberg, and the Washington Post printed a piece called, Macron is right. It's time to make life a living hell for anti-vaxxers. Of course, Macron being the prime minister of France. CNN's Don Lemon commented that people refusing the vaccines were being idiotic and nonsensical. He argued that it was time to start shaming them or leave them behind. Noam Chomsky, a self-described libertarian socialist. What? impossible, said unvaccinated people should remove themselves from society and be isolated. Asked how they would get food that way, he answered, well, actually, that's their problem. In Canada, columnists for the Toronto Star, the big newspaper in Toronto, proclaimed, vaccine resistors are lazy and irresponsible. We need vaccine passports now to protect the rest of us. And... The unvaccinated cherish their freedom to harm others. How can we ever forgive them? In the UK, the Daily Mail contended it's time to punish Britain's 5 million vaccine refuseniks. And Piers Morgan, the guy they're trying to pretend is conservative now over on Fox News, he's been a British presenter over on Talk TV in Great Britain, he suggested unvaccinated people should not be allowed access to the UK's National Health Service. Internationally, several politicians threatened to re-implement restrictions and told the public that the unvaccinated were at fault. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said unvaccinated people are very often misogynistic and racist. And he asked, do we tolerate these people? Joe Biden said that his patience was wearing thin and that we needed to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. 
Michael Gunner, chief minister of the Northern Territory in Australia, stated that even if you're vaccinated, if you're anti-mandate, you're absolutely anti-vax. French President Emmanuel Macron declared that 5 million French people who remained unvaccinated were not citizens. Across parts of the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Europe, unvaccinated people were fired from their jobs. Hello, speaking! Excluded from higher education, banned from many sectors of public life, denied organ transplants, and even punished by judges and probation hearings and child custody cases. Meanwhile, COVID cases continue to rise in many highly vaccinated countries with vaccine passports and other restrictions in place. Vaccine mandates were mainly rationalized through the belief that the higher the rate of vaccination, the less the virus would spread. For example, during oral arguments for Biden's health care worker mandate, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Elena Kagan, claimed that health care workers had to get vaccinated, quote, so that you're not transmitting the disease, unquote. But recently, on October 10th, 2022, a Pfizer spokesperson told the European Parliament that the vaccines had never actually been tested for preventing transmission. Remember, I played that for you recently? While this was presented on social media as breaking news, the fact that the vaccines were not tested for this purpose has been documented extensively ever since Pfizer and Moderna received their original emergency use authorization. Now, that I didn't know. Now, check it out. During the December 10th, 2020 FDA meeting, when the first mRNA vaccines were authorized, FDA advisor Dr. Patrick Moore stated, quote, Pfizer has presented no evidence in its data today that the vaccine has any effect on virus carriage or shedding, which is the fundamental basis for herd immunity, unquote. Despite the data presented for individual efficacy, he continued, we really, as of right now, do not have any evidence that it will have an impact social-wide on the epidemic. The FDA emergency use authorization press release from December 2020 also confirms that there was no evidence that the vaccine prevents transmission of SARS-CoV-2 from person to person. Simply put, the reason many people believed the vaccine stopped transmission was because government officials and media outlets across the Western world were either careless with their words or did not tell the truth. In 2021, for instance, Director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, claimed the vaccinated people do not carry the virus. And Dr. Anthony Fauci said they would become dead ends for the virus. Any speculation that the vaccine significantly reduced transmission was based on limited results from independent studies and the false assumption that the vaccine would prevent infection. Without adequate evidence, vaccination campaigns called on people to get vaccinated 
not just for their own protection, but to help protect others and save lives. Now, you know, I, I live in Arkansas in the U.S. The last couple of weeks, ever since that female executive for Pfizer got up there under oath at the European Union Parliament and said, no, we did not test the vaccine for efficacy of stopping the virus before we rolled it out to the marketplace. Ever since that, a couple of weeks ago, I'm seeing massive commercials on television in Arkansas and massive commercials when I'm trying to watch something on YouTube from the Arkansas Department of Health featuring black doctors and black coaches trying to talk to the black community saying, hey, 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 you, you need to you need to get the shot now. You need to protect everybody so you don't get the COVID and you don't spread it to other people. Lying through their teeth, lying through their teeth. Not to mention, you know, if you're a taxpayer in Arkansas, that's your money they're using to lie to your, to your fellow citizens. Let me get back to the article here from tabletmag.com entitled Vaccines Never Prevented the Transmission of COVID. It continues, meanwhile, social media companies coordinated with the Biden administration to censor dissent. Many people who ask questions about efficacy or safety risk banishment from Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. Now, however, as more studies, more and more studies come out, it is increasingly clear that some of the information these companies censored was true. For anyone content with their vaccination status, this might not be a big deal. Yes, the vaccine information that was provided in 2021 wasn't entirely accurate, but you might still feel that getting vaccinated was the right decision. However, being misinformed about potential benefits and risks is an enormous deal for, say, a male college athlete who got vaccinated because he wanted to protect his elderly family members, but who then developed myocarditis. Telling him that this is fine because there was so much unknown is probably not much of a consolation, especially since his decision to get vaccinated was never going to protect his family members in the first place. And the vaccine manufacturers were given blanket immunity from liability. In other words, he can't sue them. You know, it's one thing for the pharmaceutical companies, the Biden administration, the CDC, and the media to intentionally or unintentionally mislead the public. But it's another thing entirely for them to do this while government agencies actively coordinated to suppress alternative views or inconvenient data. While executives and bureaucrats may excuse their errors by claiming that the science changed, the public has every right to demand better. Science is the process of discovery through observation and experimentation. Of course it changes. That's why the term settled science is obviously a political, not a scientific term, and why anyone should be able to publicly question scientific consensus at any time. Instead of allowing for debate, political and bureaucratic officials conducted a campaign of mass censorship and coercion. This effectively undermined the principle of informed consent and has resulted in a scandal affecting millions of people. It was not until August 2022 that the CDC issued guidance 
that call for vaccinated and unvaccinated people to no longer be subjected to different testing or quarantine protocols. To justify this change in guidance, the CDC cited the protection provided by previous infection as well as breakthrough infections. Yet studies had already shown by the fall of 2021 that the vaccines did not prevent infection, the natural immunity was at least as protective, the vaccinated people had similar viral loads to unvaccinated people, and the vaccinated people had a role in transmission. All this was true before the arrival of the Omicron variant, and all of this was true before the majority of U.S. vaccine mandates were issued. Nevertheless, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook all had policies that made questioning the CDC, the World Health Organization, and government authorities potential grounds for censorship, prohibiting discussion of alternative treatments or suggestions that vaccination has varying levels of benefits for different people. Documents from the Missouri versus Biden case have revealed that the CDC proposed a monthly debunking meeting with Facebook and the Facebook and Twitter sought input from the CDC in deciding what to censor. For the Biden administration, it was a foregone conclusion that everyone should get vaccinated, so the goal of censorship was simply to increase vaccine uptake. This was an anti-science stance that stripped people of their right to make informed choices or to even access verified data. On Facebook, for instance, a thorough investigation by the British Medical Journal into data integrity problems with a Pfizer trial was flagged as missing context, and Facebook directed readers to an inaccurate so-called fact-check of the investigation. On Twitter... As a result of censorship policies, accounts have been suspended temporarily or permanently for displaying Pfizer's own trial data and sharing information from peer-reviewed papers. Why? Because the official vaccine message was so rigid that basic reality was considered to be misleading. By now, many studies have shown that some of the once-censored concerns of vaccine-hesitant people actually have validity. Facebook explicitly prohibited the claim that breast milk from vaccinated women could be harmful, but now a recent study has found that mRNA was present in breast milk, and the study urged caution when breastfeeding shortly after vaccination. Well, you know, it would only stand to reason that of course it would be in there. The CD, whatever a woman ingests, the baby's going to get through breastfeeding. That's just, it's insane. It's counterintuitive to have suggested otherwise. Anyway, I digress. The CDC previously told breastfeeding mothers that getting vaccinated was, li- was likely to benefit their babies. And many pregnant women were mandated to get vaccinated, even though this population had been excluded from the vaccine trials. A claim on Facebook or Twitter like children who have had COVID should not get vaccinated could also be subject to censorship, but new data suggests that young children who were previously infected might not see long-term benefits from vaccination. 
a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, now shows that children ages 5 through 11 who had a prior infection but were not vaccinated had a lower risk of being reinfected than children who had a prior infection and did get vaccinated. After five months, protection against reinfection for the vaccinated children was negative. Concealing important data and censoring the debate helped create an illusion of consensus and as people were removed from social media platforms, erased the record of disagreement and skepticism. Open discussion of conditions like myocarditis and pericarditis or cardiac deaths was also penalized, despite 2021 data from Israel that confirmed elevated rates of myocarditis linked to vaccination. A later Israeli study from May 2022 found that cardiac arrest among people under 40 increased by 25% during the vaccine rollout. In the United States, the CDC was supposed to make its vaccine-safe safety data public by September 30. The CDC failed to do so, but was forced to reveal this data through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit of 10 million people in the so-called V-SAFE program, 25% had a vaccine side effect that caused them to miss school or work, and 7.7% had to seek medical care. Should Americans only be hearing about this kind of safety data now? Or should it have been available before vaccine mandates were put in place? Censorship of medical dissent is now being expanded in California, where Governor Gavin Newsom has signed Assembly Bill 2098 into law, officially granting the California Medical Board the authority to penalize and suspend the licenses of doctors who intentionally spread, quote, misinformation or disinformation, unquote, about COVID risks and prevention, as well as the safety and efficacy of COVID vaccines. In the UK and Sweden, by contrast, COVID vaccines are no longer offered to healthy children under 12 And in Denmark, boosters are not available for anyone under 50 years old. Clearly, there is no international consensus on COVID vaccines for young people. Should California doctors really lose their medical licenses if they favor guidance from Sweden and Denmark over guidance from our own CDC? Apart from being a potential First Amendment violation and intrusion on the doctor-patient relationship, This new misinformation bill raises the question of whether, after everything we have just witnessed, a single medical authority should really be presumed to be all-knowing or infallible. Time and again, the so-called medical consensus has proved to be incorrect. In the 19th century, doctors believed it was safe to deliver babies without washing their hands, resulting in the deaths of countless women from pure pearl fever. In the 20th century, compulsory sterilization of disabled people was considered to be a legitimate and ethical medical practice. And in 1949, the developer of the lobotomy won the Nobel Prize for Medicine. As recently as this year, scientists discovered that the entire basis 
for over a decade of Alzheimer's research was fraudulent. Did you hear about that? In the case of COVID, while claiming that it was the dissenters who caused harm, it was in fact the censors and enforcers of speech restrictions who caused immense damage to the social fabric and to the lives of individuals. The excuse that medical segregation was once necessary but is no longer necessary because the facts changed or the science changed is demonstrably false. The facts didn't change. The facts were just banned. Wow. What an article. Okay, that is the great Alex Gutentag over at tabletmag.com. And the article is entitled, Vaccines Never Prevented the Transmission of COVID. I just think it's my duty to share this stuff with you, you know? And so that's what I try to do. Caden Pearson over at theepictimes.com has the article that's all over, even the mainstream media. Judge orders Fauci, Jensaki, and top officials to be deposed in a big tech censorship case, including working with social media to suppress disfavored speakers' viewpoints and content regarding COVID-19. So let's keep an eye on that one. That's going to be a big deal. Uh, Zachary Stiber over the epictimes.com has the article, Vaccination Poses Higher Risk of Myocarditis Death for All Age Groups. According to a new study out of Japan, well, you know, the Surgeon General of uh, Florida said the other day, Dr. Lodapo, that they are discouraging young men ages 18 to 39 from getting the vaccine in Florida because of the advanced risk of myocarditis for young men. Uh, the great uh, Vinay Prasad over at uh, Substack, he's got a new article. He's an American hematologist, oncologist, and health researcher, professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of California in San Francisco. His new article is entitled, The CDC Director Just Got COVID. She got the new bivalent booster a month ago. Subtitle, It's Time to Be Honest About Bad Evidence and Bad Leadership. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. No question about it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to get all this stuff out to you. And, you know, it, it never ends. There's always so much more stuff to share with you. Um, yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of Dr. Ladapo, let me share this with you. This is uh, over on the, the Fox Business Network. He was being interviewed, and Fauci came up, and they played some clips of Fauci for him, and he just... Uh, he just killed it. And Dr. Fauci is now spinning the narrative, saying he never called for shutdowns. He is leaving the NIH. Let's check him on the record. He did recommend shutdowns. Watch this. 
was it a mistake in so many states and so many localities uh, to see schools closed as long as they were? I had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, you're, I you're, mean you're, let's you're, get down to the facts. I didn't shut down anything. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. And the only way to do that is by draconian means of essentially shutting down a country. We know that we can do that if we shut down. Well, if I knew at the time that shutting down would have such a dramatic effect on controlling the spread, obviously we would have shut down earlier. Not only did he say shut down, he said he would have shut down earlier. Those are the facts, Dr. Fauci. Your reaction? Yes, earlier and harder. That's the Dr. Fauci playbook. I hope Americans recognize that the individual that led the response that President Biden and all these other people were saying they trust is now he's clearly lying. He is the energy behind the shutdowns. And he has the audacity to go on TV and tell people that he didn't have anything to do with it. That's the individual. And how can you trust someone like that? Well, you can't. And thank you, Dr. Ladapo, Surgeon General of Florida, for not pulling any punches. I mean, we appreciate that. We really do. All right, well, um, I guess that means it's about time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom. To buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice, the way you want to, online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Now, today's Tweet of the Day is from a lady who calls herself Conservative Mama out there on Twitter. And it's more than one tweet. She's got a thread of several tweets. And here's what she says. They filled skate parks with sand. Took down basketball nets at parks. Taped off playgrounds. Forced children to sit in isolated circles. Forced children to eat outside in the cold. Put plastic around school desks. Canceled school dances, graduations, and sporting events. Stopped people from gathering for funerals. Banned singing. Banned dancing. Told you you cannot have people visit you at your home. They shamed you. They mocked you. They treated you as peasants while they gathered with their elitist friends. They arrested, fined, and jailed those who did not comply. They wouldn't let loved ones see loved ones in the hospital, resulting in people dying all alone. They forced people to inject themselves with something they didn't want or they would lose their job. They had neighbors ratting out neighbors. They called parents who objected at schools domestic terrorists. They censored speech. They stopped travel. They banned, fired, and silenced health professionals and scientists that disagreed. They closed churches. They forced curfews. They closed parks. They closed beaches. They shut down small businesses 
but kept big corporations open. They forced you to wear something on your face. They lied over and over and over again to you. They took your freedom. They want you to forget all about all of this. Do not forget. Let your voice be heard loud and clear on November 8th. And that is the tweet of the day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Thank you so much, Mitch Ward. We appreciate you. So, that having been said, you've been listening to episode 265 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X. And that's the way it is, Sunday, October 23rd, 2022.